Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. I've, I've interrupted, as you know, the studies on Joseph to deal with the return of the Messiah in the light of everything that's happening over in Israel. Last week, uh, we considered three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Mark 13, verses 1 through 4, Luke 21, and uh, Matthew 24. Verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Do you see all of these things? I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of it, and as Dr. Foster has pointed out, it's not the end of the world. The word here is for age and the end of the age. And Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Now I'm going to mention some of these other things that Jesus talked about, and I'm thinking about doing that in our Tuesday night study. I may do it on Sunday morning. But this, this coming Tuesday, I'm going to be teaching you a little bit about Islam. I think you need to know about that. That is what's going on over in Israel right now between uh, Jew, the Jews and uh, between Islam. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your precious word. We ask you to lead us this morning by your spirit to open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, that we might understand what we look into as we consider the precious word of God and we consider the revelation and the salvation given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing our little song, Father, I'll stretch my hands to thee. Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help I know. If I withdraw myself from thee, I go All right, you may be seated. Let God's people say praise the Lord. I want to thank all the musicians for playing for us every week. It's so thankful for that and thankful for you. And of course, I'm thankful that the Lord has given uh, our son another birthday. And today is his birthday. We're going to have some celebrations this afternoon. And his birthday over in Israel. A lot of people over there are not going to have a birthday, both Palestinians and uh, Israelis. It is a very confusing thing. Let me ask you this. This conflict that's between the Jews and between the Arab people, in particular now we're looking at uh, uh, 
Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, we're beginning to look at Syria and Iran. Uh, where, did, where did that conflict begin? Where did that conflict begin? Well, it began between Isaac and Ishmael. That's where it began. When Abraham and Sarah wanted to have a child, and Sarah said to her husband, why don't you let me have children by my Egyptian maid, Hagar? And uh, Abraham consented, and the son that was born was Ishmael. And uh, the Lord said, no, the only son that counts is the son I give you. The son I give you is the only one that counts. And your son that I give you will be called the son of promise. Paul points this out in the New Testament in the book of Romans. He says, not all who are in Israel are the Israel of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. This whole conflict, which has been going on now for thousands of years, began with Isaac and Ishmael. And Israel cannot be destroyed. I'm convinced of that. I'm not altogether clear on all of the things about the last days, but I know that through the years, there are about, there are about 15 million Jews in the world on planet Earth today. And uh, nation after nation has tried to destroy them. Uh, they can't be destroyed. And, you know, here's the, here's the strange thing about it. The Lord is yet punishing Israel for the rejection of his son. And at the same time, he's preserving them. He's punishing them, but he's preserving them. And they're not going to be able, nobody is going to be able to wipe them out. There, there is a future. There is a future for our people. There is a remnant within the nation of Israel for which there is a future. We studied a little bit about that this past Tuesday evening. I think what we're beginning to see over here, and maybe I'm a little ahead of things, but we might be given a small preview of what the Bible calls the day of Jacob's trouble, also known as the Valley of Decision, also known as the Battle of Armageddon. Let me ask you a question. Do you know? Let's tell you what. Turn in your Bibles. I may not even preach what I came to preach today. <laughs> uh, let me see if I have this passage of Scripture. If I don't, I'll try to quote it to you. There is a passage in the book of uh, Psalms that uh, has, uh, in fact, there are several mentions of uh, Hamas in the Old Testament Hebrew. Old Testament Hebrew, Hamas, associated with violence and so on. Let me just ask you a question. I'll do this instead of having you turn to a passage. This this place of battle today is Gaza. Gaza. 
Did you know that Gaza is where David slew Goliath the giant? Did you know that Gaza is where Israel's first king, Saul, was slain, slain in Gaza? On the television in the last few days, I've seen Ashkelon on the television several times. Listen to this, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. David said when he learned of the death of King Saul, he said, The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, that's in Gaza. Publish it not in Ashkelon, that's in Gaza. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice and the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Gath was one of the five royal cities of the Philistines. It was a native city. And Ashkelon was mentioned often uh, on the news. The Romans are the ones who came over there, conquered that area, inhabited it for many, many years. And they are the ones who gave the name that we're so familiar with today, Palestine. Palestinia comes from a word that means, guess what? The land of the Philistines. Palestine means the land of the Philistines. And they did that so that people would forget Israel. Not call it Israel anymore, call it Palestine. And that's what it is today. It's known today as Palestine. It's the land of the Philistines. Goliath that David slew was a Philistine. So you see all of that ancient history now. You're beginning to see some of it in your own lifetimes. The first promise of a Savior, as I have often mentioned here, is found in Genesis 3.15. When the Lord said to Lucifer, in the presence of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And her seed will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And for thousands of years, the faithful children of God, while battling the seed of the serpent, that promise, of course, is called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the, said to be the first promise of the Messiah, but it also says something about the people of God. We are in the Messiah. The Messiah is in us if we have believed in Jesus as the Christ, and we are at battle with the seed of the wicked one. So for thousands of years, the faithful children of God, while battling the seed of the serpent, looked for the promise of the Messiah. A thousand years passed. 2,000 years, 3,000 years. And after 4,000 years, the promise of the Messiah was kept. And the Messiah was born in the little town of Bethlehem, just as the Scriptures predicted. But thou, Bethlehem, Ethratah, though thou art little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. 
Matthew tells us in the very first verse of his gospel that Jesus was the son of Abraham, as the scriptures said the Messiah had to be, and he was in the royal family of David, as the scriptures said he had to be. But practically, when the Messiah was born, no one knew anything much about it except a few shepherds. Two years later, some nomadic wise men came looking for him, and they upset all of Jerusalem with their talk that the king of the Jews had been born, the long-awaited Messiah. But that all quickly went away, and everyone went back to their lives that they'd been living. He was about, Jesus was about 30 years of age when John the Baptist baptized him in water and introduced him to the world. But the world did not receive him. Not the Jewish world, and not the Gentile world, and not even some of his own family. Although Jesus performed many miracles, including healing the sick and raising the dead, and giving sight to the blind and feeding thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. Though he preached the gospel to the poor, he delivered those held captive by sin. He set at liberty those who were bruised by the devil. Still, they didn't recognize him. Why didn't they recognize him? How could they have missed him? Why did they not acknowledge him? How could they have not believed him? How could they have missed him? But well, we learned in our first study that there were three major reasons. And I want to delve a little deeper into that this morning, and then next week maybe we'll deal with some of these actual verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The three reasons were they did not know the Scriptures. Number two, they were full of self-righteousness. And number three, they were in a spiritual sleep. Now these three always stand or fall together. To be ignorant of the Scripture is to be ignorant of one's depravity and God's righteousness. To be ignorant of one's depravity and God's righteousness is to be deceived regarding the way of salvation. To be deceived regarding the way of salvation leads one to recommend and follow an inferior righteousness which leads to damnation. What are we believing today? Are these three things characterizing us? Ignorance of the Scriptures, asleep, and full of self-righteousness. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, please. Romans chapter 10. I can quote these vast passages, but I want you to see them in your Bible, regardless of your translation. This is just what the citizens of Israel did. They were ignorant of the Scriptures. They therefore were ignorant of their own self-righteousness, and they were in a spiritual sleep. This is what Paul says about his own people, Israel, in Romans chapter 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record. I stand up and testify. They have a zeal of God. But that zeal is not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness 
and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Now let's dissect that a little bit. Paul says with all of his heart he wants Israel to be saved. He says they're zealous for God. Jesus said to the Jews, you compass land and sea to make one proselyte, to make one convert. And when you make him, you make him twofold more the child of hell than you yourselves are. They're zealous for God. But he says here their zeal cannot save them because it is built upon a false knowledge, a false knowledge of God and therefore a false knowledge of themselves. Now I want to share this with you. You've heard it many times, but maybe not in this way. God is not who we think He is. He is who He is. He is not who we think He is. In Psalm 50, the Lord said to David to say to the people, Thou thoughtest I was altogether such in one as thyself. You imagined me to be like you. But I'm not like you. God is not who we think he is. He is who he is. And we are not what we think we are. We are what God says we are. This is very vital information. The false knowledge, the Jews' false knowledge of God and of themselves led them to lower the standard of God and exalt their own supposed goodness and righteousness. In other words, when men and women and boys and girls, whether it's Jews or Gentiles, don't know the Scriptures, they imagine the Lord to be less than He really is, and themselves to be more than they really are. And so they, they say things like, he'll understand. No, I don't think he will. If he put his son on the cross, he's not going to understand. If he put his son through hell, he's not going to understand. People say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as many others are. The Lord is going to judge us based on that man, Christ Jesus. There has been a perfect man. There has been a man who has kept the law of God. There has been a man who has pleased him in word, thought, and deed. He's the only one of whom the Lord God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when people think less of God and more of themselves, then they end up thinking that God will accept them on the basis of their own righteousness. They think they are righteous enough to be accepted by God, and uh, therefore, how do we know they think this, from Paul's uh, record here, how do we know that the Jews thought less of God and more of themselves? Because, he says, they are going about, verse 3, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness. And here's the, here's the key. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. 
You see, when you submit yourself to God through faith in Christ, you are admitting that you don't have a righteousness and that you need a righteousness. The righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the standard of God, the measurement of God is seen in the death of God's own Son. How righteous is God? He's so righteous that he judged sin in his own son before he would have anything to do with you and me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He hath made him to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we who are nothing but sin might be made the righteousness of God in him. The father legally constituted and declared his son to be sin. Not a sin offering, but a sin bearer. And he did it for us who are sinners. He who knew no sin. He knew no sin by personal experience. He once said to the Jews, Which of you convinces me of sin? Peter said he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The writer to the Hebrews said he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. 1 John 3, 5 says, in him is no sin. So he made him to be sin, his own son, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that we might be freely justified. That ought to give us something to shout about. If we are righteous in Christ, if God Almighty, the Holy God, before whom even the angels must cover themselves, whose glory outshines the brightest star, if He sees us and receives us as righteous, my goodness, we ought to be happy about that. We've been made the righteousness of God in Him. This is something that the poor Jews were not able to see. There were other reasons, of course, why Israel did not recognize their Messiah. Saul of Tarsus, a Jewish rabbi whom we know as the Apostle Paul, who was miraculously converted, he said this. He said, if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of them which do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The gospel is hidden to the lost. And here's the thing, the lost don't know they are lost. As I've said so many times, the sheep doesn't know it is lost. And ignorance of being lost is a fruit of spiritual blindness, and spiritual blindness is a fruit of ignorance of the Scripture. This generation, if it is possible, is far more ignorant of the Scriptures than the Jews who lived when Jesus was born. The Jews had only the writings of Moses, the law. They had the writings of David and Solomon, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And they had the writings of the prophets. But we have the completed New Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We have eyewitness accounts of those who walked with Yeshua, Jesus, who heard him teach, who saw him heal, 
who witnessed his sufferings on the cross, who talked with him after he arose from the dead. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 1. He said, We write unto you about the word of life, which has existed from the very beginning. We have heard it, we have seen it with our eyes, we have seen it, and our hands have touched it. When this life became visible, we saw it, so we speak of it and to tell you about that eternal life which was with the Father and was made known unto us. What we have seen and heard we announce to you also so that you will join with us in the fellowship that we have with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So once more, dear friends, the Jews did not recognize their Messiah because of ignorance of the Scripture, and because they were ignorant of the Word of God, they were very comfortable in their smug self-righteousness. And because they were filled with themselves, they were in a deep spiritual sleep, a sleep from which they could only awaken in hell. There were signs all around them, but their blinded eyes couldn't see and their deaf ears couldn't hear. You know, the good news is that there's not one sin that any man has ever committed that cannot be forgiven. But the Lord will not save a person who's filled with self-righteousness. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ received those who sought him for salvation, for healing. But the self-righteous Jews, the self-righteous, whether Jews or Gentiles, he had nothing to say to them but a rebuke. Here's what it says in Matthew 13. Jesus says this of the, his own people. That seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, dying to do they understand, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, when said, By hearing you shall hear, you shall not understand, seeing you shall see, you shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed, gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, should be converted, and I should heal them. Isaiah the prophet said this of his own people. Reading you some scripture this morning, Isaiah chapter 29. This is what Isaiah said beginning in verse 9. Stay yourselves and wonder, cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but, they, but not with wine. They are staggering, but not with strong drink. Listen to this now. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and he has closed your eyes the prophets and your rulers and the seers have their eyes covered. And the vision of all has become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. When one deliver to them who is learned, saying, read this, read this. And he says, I can't, it's sealed. I can't understand it. I can't understand the Bible. I can't understand the Scripture. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this. And he says, I'm not learned. So far, as much as this, the Lord says, this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips. They honor me, but they have removed their heart from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. That's all in Isaiah 29, fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. We read in the book of Acts, chapter 28, that Paul the apostle met with his Jewish brethren 
to expound the scriptures to them, to testify to them of the kingdom of God, to persuade them concerning Jesus, both out of the law and out of the prophet, from morning till evening. And how did that go? Well, it said they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't believe. And it said they left after Paul said one word. You know what he said? They were tougher than I am. He said to his own Jewish brethren, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and not perceive. The heart of this people is right gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, be converted, and I should heal them. Here's what I'm saying to you. Get in the Word of God. Get under the Word of God. Ask the Lord for understanding of the Word of God. It's going to become more and more important as the days draw nigh to the coming of the Lord. Now, I want you to look again in Matthew chapter 24, if you will. Let me just make two or three points, and I'll be through with you this morning. Matthew chapter 24. They asked the Lord in verse 3, When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? Mark chapter 13 says, and that's Matthew 24, verse 3. You can turn there. Mark 13, 3 and 4 says, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Luke 21 says, Master, when shall these things be? What, signs, what sign will there be when these things come to pass? Now, the answer to that is in Matthew 24 and verse 4. Jesus said, Take heed that no man deceive you. Matthew 24, 4. Mark 13, 5. Jesus answered them and said, Take heed lest any man deceive you. Luke 21, 8. He said, Take heed that you be not deceived. The emphasis is on deception. The more preachers and teachers that we have on radio and on television, the more deception we're going to have. You test them out by the Word of God. The question was asked, let me point this out to you. The question was asked by the apostles. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, The disciples came unto him. In Mark 13, 3, it says, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him. And in Luke 21, 7, it says, and they, the disciples, asked him. So the question was asked by those who believed him, by those who were his disciples. Number two, the question then was asked privately. Two of the three references revealed that this question that disciples asked was privately. Mark 13, verse 3, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Matthew 24, 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, when shall these things be? They, they answered him privately. In other words, this is information for God's children. This is not information for the world. This is information for the children of God. When shall these things be? And he answered them privately. Obviously, only those who believe in him would ask such a question. And the fact that he answered them privately 
indicates that this information is for disciples only. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his disciple. Mathetes is the word translated disciple, and it means learner. It means pupil. So what I want to do is challenge you this morning very simply, nothing profound, very simply, Make much of the Scriptures. Get more in the Bible. Sit under the Scripture. Do everything you can to pray over the Bible. Ask God to give you insight and leadership. Because if something happened here as quickly and as suddenly as it has had happened in Israel, we are going to be in really, really big trouble. And the only thing that's going to stay us, the only thing that's going to stabilize us, the only thing that's going to calm our fears is to know that we know him and that my beloved is mine and I am his. That's the only thing that's going to stabilize you. A mother like Joe has, 99 years old, taught Sunday school two weeks ago. Some of the people down there said that's uh, one of the best lessons ever heard. She knows to whom she belongs. She knows her Lord. She served him all of her life. Uh, Wendell Mitchell's mother, who's almost 102, 101 and a half, I think, uh, she professes to be a strong believer. I don't know her like I know Joe's mother. But the only thing that will stabilize us when we face death and destruction is the Lord Jesus Christ and grounded in his word. You have nothing, my friends, nothing. I don't care about people that talk about all these experiences. You have nothing but his promise. That's what you have. In John chapter 14, he said to his disciples, in my father's house, there are many mansions, many dwelling places. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And he's coming again. I will come again. He's coming. He may be coming soon for some of us because of our age. He may be coming for the world soon. I'm not sure. But I know that all of these things that are happening over in Israel are very significant. And they're significant because they could only happen after Israel has been regathered. And they've been regathered for 75 years. Now, I have been, over the years, as strong as anyone regarding the Jewish people. And that is, the Jews cannot be saved because they're kin to Abraham. They cannot be saved because they're part of Israel. They cannot be saved because they're related to these prophets and they had the prophets and the covenants and the law. They can only be saved the same way you can be saved, and that is through the Messiah, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important. You know, in John chapter 3, when Christ was visited by Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, and Nicodemus said to him, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things that you do except God be with him. And it is though Jesus bypassed that. And he said, Verily I say unto you, ye must be born again. Now, ye must be born again. Ye is in the plural. You know what singular and plural is? Singular, you're talking to one person. Plural, you're talking to many people. We use the word you in the same way. We can be talking to one person, Y-O-U. We can be talking to a big group of people and say you. 
and it is in the plural. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Ye, all those who are like you, all those who are in your shape, whether they are born Jews or Gentiles, must be born again. If you're not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, you must be born again. The poor Jewish people missed their Messiah because they didn't know the Word of God, because they were standing in their self-righteousness. You see, when you think you're a good person and you're standing in self-righteousness, why should you study the Scripture looking for a Savior? That means that they were asleep. Let's not be asleep. Paul wrote to the Christians and he said, let every man wake out of his sleep. It is now time for us to wake up. It is now time for us to get out of our spirit of slumber. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word.